0: Nuclear weapons. What exactly are we talking about here? While Hiroshima and Nagasaki remain the only times these weapons were actually used, 77 years later, here we are, throwing around the politics and possibility of nuclear war without an understanding of what these weapons now are and exactly what this might mean. So it takes a genuine expert, one who has been writing about nuclear issues for more than five decades, to lay out the facts. And he tells
1: you, The Trident II re-enters the atmosphere at speeds up to Mach 24. Oh, and each submarine has 24 of these missiles. It splits into up to eight independent re-entry vehicles, each with a 100 to 475 kiloton nuclear weapon. In short, a full salvo from an Ohio-class submarine, which could be launched in less than one minute, could unleash up to 192 nuclear warheads to wipe out 24 cities from the map. This is a nightmarish weapon of the apocalypse.
0: Our tax dollars at work. Well, when an award-winning veteran environmental journalist like Carl Grossman spells it out that clearly, and with a lot more detail, which will follow, you cannot avoid the fact that we are unavoidably stuck in that terrible, awful, apocalyptic seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking?
2: Nuclear- Is shrinking, but the activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat—it's
0: the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine, keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I am the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, award-winning veteran environmental journalist Carl Grossman offers insights into the exact nature of the nuclear war we would face if circumstances continue to deteriorate on the world stage along with an examination of the Don't Worry, Be Happy messaging being put forth by official United States sources to convince us all that nuclear war is survivable and, hey, no big deal. And we will also get some of his thoughts on the shelling of the Zaporizhia nuclear facility in Ukraine. We will also have nuclear news from around the world, numnits of the week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness, Linda Pence Gunter with the nuclear hot seat hot story, and more honest nuclear information than was mentioned during the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. All of it coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, September 20th, 2022, and here is this week's nuclear news from a different perspective. In Ukraine, Russian troops have struck the pivden nuclear power plant in Ukraine's southern Mykolaiv region early on Monday morning, September 19. The blast took place only 300 meters, 328 yards, away from the reactors and damaged power plant buildings, a nearby hydroelectric power plant, and transmission lines, but the reactors themselves have not been damaged. The Ukrainian Defense Ministry and its nuclear regulator, Energo Atom, both called the strike nuclear terrorism. But the International Atomic Energy Agency did not immediately respond to a request for comment. The mayor of Enerhodar, the city that hosts the Zaporizhia plant, reported that more Russian shelling occurred on Monday in the city's industrial zone. No word of any damages there. And at the Russian-held Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, as of Saturday, September 17, the power plant's four main power lines have been repaired, and they are supplying the plant with electricity from the Ukrainian grid two weeks after it went down. The electricity is crucial because the six reactors at Zaporizhia, even though they have been shut down, still contain fuel that needs cooling to avoid a potentially catastrophic meltdown. The plant, therefore, needs electricity to pump water through the reactor's core. So as you contemplate these unanticipated risks at nuclear power reactors, here's another one. Linda Pence-Gunter with this week's Nuclear Hot Seat Hot Story.
2: The world has been amply warned, clamored the conclusion of an editorial in the September 19th edition of the Washington Post, headlined, The World's Ice is Melting. Scientists have raised the alarm, it went on. Sea level rise is not a matter of if, but a matter of when and how much. The nation's leaders must not wait for the floodwaters to inundate their communities, or the wildfires to get worse, or the droughts to become more severe, to plan for the new reality. This is the same editorial team that misses no opportunity to push not only the continued use of nuclear power, but also its expansion. The failure of the Post editors to see the obvious contradiction here is breathtaking. Clearly, the last thing you need standing in the path of drastic sea level rise, wildfires and droughts is a nuclear power plant. We must temper our surprise, however, despite the Washington Post's long liberal history. Sadly, the editorial page has been drifting steadily rightwards for some time. A recent editorial even gave a pass to new British Prime Minister Liz Truss, who replaced Boris Johnson as Conservative Party leader and who is a self-appointed clone of Margaret Thatcher. Truss plans to lift the ban on fracking and expand offshore oil drilling while condemning onshore wind and solar. She is also ready, her word, to press the nuclear button. And yet the post crowed that we should, quote, give Miss Truss credit for a preternatural work ethic and that, quote, the United States should help mistrust exceed expectations for the sake of the special relationship with Britain, the fight in Ukraine and the global economy's health. As Charlie Brown would say, good grief. But while we can mourn the loss of the Washington Post as a potent voice for progressive policies, we must remind ourselves that nuclear power is not a partisan issue. How many democratic members of Congress oppose it? Almost none. So, what should we do? Write letters to the editor, I hear you say. We do, and of course they are rarely, if ever, published. Offer an op ed. Nope. Door slammed firmly closed. Even credentialed experts like Amory Lovins, professor of civil and environmental engineering at Stanford University, can't get into the New York Times. He accurately predicted this stonewalling when he responded, eloquently, to a nonsense pro nuclear New York Times opinion piece by Spencer Bockhat Lindell. Beyond Nuclear International ended up publishing Amory's response instead. Hardly an equitable alternative, much though we were honored to do so. I think one answer to this problem might be to help raise the so-called smaller boats. Why should the Washington Post and the New York Times continue to be considered the august voices of authority in perpetuity when they are so patently wrong on issues like nuclear power, not to mention Liz Truss? submitting our own work to online platforms and progressive publications out there, many of whom are struggling to survive and subscribing to them might be one option. After all, since nuclear power is not a partisan issue, we won't exactly be preaching to the choir. We will perhaps be shifting the position of progressive agnostics who suspect that nuclear power is not the answer to climate change, but who aren't sure why not. Let's give them the answers. So get writing, folks. If you need help, visit beyondnuclearinternational.org, where you will find our talking points and handbooks chock full of succinct message points and empirical data that you can lift directly into your own writing. We can't turn the tide of sea level rise. It's too late. But we can make sure that when the floodwaters come, they don't leave us awash in radioactive waste. I'm Linda Pence-Gunter of Beyond Nuclear, reporting for Nuclear Hot Seat. And that's this week's hot story.
0: One piece of good news coming out of Ukraine. Energo reports that a 25-truck shipment of the most necessary spare parts, materials, and diesel fuel destined for Zaporizhia has reached Enerhodar, the city that hosts the Zaporizhia plant. Here in the U.S., Nuclear Watch New Mexico has once again filed a lawsuit to pry loose the National Nuclear Security Administration's full and complete performance evaluation reports that evaluate contractor performance at its eight nuclear weapons sites. NNSA and its parent Department of Energy have been on the Independent Government Accountability Office's high-risk list for project mismanagement and waste of taxpayer dollars since 1992. Nuclear Watch sued in 2012 to obtain full and complete performance evaluation reports, but the NNSA has been releasing only summaries since 2019, despite a Freedom of Information Act request by Nuclear Watch that the agency never responded to. I wonder what they're hiding in a reactor roundup. Pacific Gas and Electric here in California is once again requesting a license amendment for the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant in the northern part of that state that would presumably reduce requirements for ensuring functionality of the system that provides early warning of intruders entering plant property. This seems to be part of a larger push by the NRC to provide a regulatory pathway for circumventing regulatory requirements for security. Senior staff at the NRC have objected to the proposed rule that would, among other things, exempt certain new nuclear reactor applicants from the standard requirement for armed responders to protect against radiological sabotage, citing what they say is, quote, the reliability of off-site local law enforcement that can always be relied on to respond quickly and effectively enough to protect nuclear plants from terrorist attacks. Yeah. Yeah tell that at the parents of the kids from Uvalde. In Alabama, various violations at the Browns Ferry nuclear plant were found to be related to deficiencies in maintenance and testing of important isolation valves. And in Michigan, a plan has emerged to restart the Palisades nuclear power plant near South Haven, if they can get federal grant monies. In Japan, TEPCO reiterates that its waste storage facilities are about to run out of space for radiologically contaminated water at the Fukushima Daiichi site. And so instead of trying to create new storage facilities, they are simply moving ahead with their plans to dump the water into the Pacific Ocean. TEPCO is in the process of building a tunnel into the Pacific to facilitate the release of the radioactive tritium-contaminated water with plans to finish that portion of the work by next spring, even though it's not yet clear whether the tunnel will be able to discharge the water. Local fishermen, residents, and people overseas are deeply distrustful of this process, as word comes from Taiwan's food authorities that radioactive isotopes have been detected in six food samples from Japan this year alone. Meanwhile, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has announced that Japan is going to revive nuclear power and invest in it as a solution to Japan's energy problems. The country is now planning to restart seven nuclear reactors by summer of 2023, and the government announced it was approving 33 nuclear projects for operations. Regarding cleanup of the nuclear reactors themselves, a government-authorized corporation said it is considering submerging the number three reactor building at Fukushima to retrieve melted nuclear fuel debris from the reactor. The total submersion method has no precedent, and even its supporters admit there's still a lot of things to study. You think? And now, nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, new. Your hot seat, not sound awake. Director Oliver Stone has launched a sputtering new film at the Venice Film Festival. The title, Nuclear. In this deification of nuclear energy from the reigning film industry suck up on anything controversial that he can exploit, Stone follows in the footsteps of other propaganda films such as Pandora's Promise which bombed in theaters, but has had an ongoing, robust afterlife, propagandizing children in schools and members of community groups. The Hollywood Reporter, an industry trade paper, published a scathing review by Daniel Feinberg, who claims to agree with pro-nuclear talking points, but not this film. Among his juicier quotes a film about the end of the world that's so drab it makes An Inconvenient Truth look like an artistic phantasmagoria. The movie is a barely filmed TED Talk. Elsewhere, he criticizes it as having a droning, overwritten voiceover, that it was not even a glorified visual essay, and an anemic documentary. But it is a propaganda film, a movie only a committed pro nukester could love. And, interestingly, it's been removed from competition at the Venice Film Festival because, hey, nothing a propagandist likes less than to be discounted in public by authorities who can look at a piece of manipulative garbage and say, "Ew, Manipulative garbage! And that's why, Oliver Stone, you are this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none that the week. We'll have this week's featured interview in just a moment, but first, what a worldwide nuclear mess. Ukraine, the continuation of Diablo Canyon, climate change threats to every nuclear reactor from flooding, drought, fire, and more. The nuclear industry gets away with it by shoring up its talking points using a multi-million dollar PR budget. Endless self-congratulatory press releases, and who knows how much money slipped into re-election campaigns of key legislators, all working to drown out activist voices that are trying to bring the ugly truths about nuclear to the public's attention. Where do you go for a counterbalance to the nuclear drumbeat? Right here. Nuclear Hot Seat. Now in its 12th year, Nuclear Hot Seat is the only podcast where you can reliably get a one hour hit of honest nuclear information every week, including interviews with genuine experts and frontline activists, international news, numnuts of the week, and the hot story. We bring you the information and insights that the Nuksters and their political minions would rather you not know. But in order to keep going, we need your help. And that's why, if you've come to value nuclear hot seats messaging every week, The time to support us with a donation would be right now. How about sending us the same as a cup of coffee? Five bucks here in the U.S. Maybe you would consider doing a recurring donation of five dollars a month or more. Hey, it's my birthday next week. Send a greeting by way of a donation to the show. Be it one time or monthly recurring, you'll be helping Nuclear Hot Seats stay up and running to provide you with cutting-edge information on what the nukesters are doing and steps we can take to oppose them. Go to NuclearHotSeat.com, click on the red Donate button, and do what you can now, knowing that however much you can help, I am deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. Now, here's this week's featured interview. When it comes to gaining perspective and understanding on the nuclear world, there has been no greater single source for me than Carl Grossman. He's been reporting on nuclear matters for more than five decades and is an award-winning environmental journalist. His books are standards for anyone wanting to understand nuclear issues. And when it comes to nukes, this man knows where all the bodies are buried. I often call on Carl for input, advice, and clarification, and he never fails to provide accurate, nuanced information while citing more sources than I could possibly come up with on my own. We also share many moments of commiseration over the insanity of this technology, and yes, even a few shared laughs. Here, I wanted to check in with Carl on material that he covered in two of his most recent articles, the increase of pro-nuclear survival propaganda here in the U.S., and the situation at Zaporizhia in Ukraine. I spoke with Carl Grossman on Monday, September 19, 2022. Carl Grossman, it is always a pleasure, an honor, and a fasten your seatbelts moment because the revelations are (laughs) going to be coming thick and fast every time we have you here on Nuclear Hot Seat.
1: A pleasure to uh, be with you, Libby, though the subject matter is so grisly.
0: Carl, your most recent published article is called Duck and Cover and it's in opednews.com. And this article reveals another front in desensitizing Americans to the impact of a possible nuclear apocalypse. First, tell us where you were, what you were doing, and what you discovered.
1: Well, I was here on Long Island in New York, where I live. My wife and I were paying a visit to the Shinnecock Indian Powwow on the A chunk of Long Island actually still has Indian territory. And there was wonderful dances and arts and crafts from Native American uh, communities and nations all over the United States. And there was a FEMA booth, a Federal Emergency Management Agency booth. And they had among the flyers at the booth was one headed, be prepared for a nuclear explosion. And I looked at it and Wow, I mean, here it is in front of me now. Get inside the nearest building to avoid radiation. Remove contaminated clothing and wipe off or wash unprotected skin if you were outside after the fallout arrived. Uh, Here they talk about a bright flash can cause temporary blindness for less than a minute, then the blast wave can cause radiation, can damage cells of the body, it sure can. And then on the other side, how to stay safe, how to stay safe <laughs> in, in the event of a nuclear explosion. I mean, this is so it, it brought me back instantly to when I was a kid growing up in the city of New York in Queens and the New York City Port of Education issued dog tags to the kids. So uh, we'd be able to be identified in the event of a nuclear apocalypse. And we did duck and cover. That's why that piece is titled Duck and Cover. Ducking under our desk regularly to uh, prepare for this uh, attack, nuclear attack by the Soviet Union. Now, Sometimes there were, it was a variation and we would walk, we walked out into the hall and we would ha- have to like duck and cover it. It was kind of like to kneel down or sit down on the floor in a hall. And I mean, it brought me back to that.
0: For those of you who are listening and don't have the benefit of the visuals to go along with this, we will link on the website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 587, to both the flyer so that you can have your own copy of it, and also to material on Duck and Cover, including the original film that so scared so many of us for so many years so deeply.
1: In our time... It isn't a matter of being a kid and being scared. The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, they have a doomsday clock, midnight, which uh, signifies to these atomic scientists, doomsday to nuclear annihilation is the term they used. In 2021, they kept it. uh, This is the closest to midnight, to nuclear annihilation. Since 1947, when the clock was set up, in 2022, this year in January, they still kept it at 100 seconds to midnight. But if that clock had been reset after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, February 24th, I'm told people I know in Washington that quite possibly the doomsday clock would have come even closer to midnight. And that's the situation today. I mean, Russia is threatening a nuclear attack. There's a piece, let me find it quick. I just saw yesterday, this is a Newsweek piece, headline, Russian TV says nuclear strike on UK, United Kingdom, would turn it into a Martian desert. And it isn't just the nobody, it's Andrei Gurilov. He's a former deputy commander of Russia's southern military district. And now he's a state Duma deputy. He goes on and on. We will win in terms of the invasion of Ukraine. When They're not doing too well, I'd say. Uh, And this warning, uh, the use of nuclear weapons by this guy, Putin and his circle have been threatening since the invasion about using nuclear weapons. We're back to the 1950s. But even worse, considering what nuclear weapons are about these days, This is from the National Interest, which is a middle-of-the-road publication. Piece goes on describing how the Trident II re-enters the atmosphere at speeds up to Mach 24. Oh, and each submarine has 24 of these missiles. It splits into up to eight independent re-entry vehicles, each with a 100 to 475 kiloton nuclear weapon. In short, a full salvo from an Ohio-class submarine, says the National Interest, which could be launched in less than one minute, could unleash up to 192 nuclear warheads to wipe out 24 cities from the map. This is the National Interest, a centrist publication. This is a nightmarish weapon of the apocalypse. So when we're talking about nuclear war these days, I mean, the bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki are, and I hate to say small potatoes, small nuclear potatoes, because they weren't at all. They killed, well, 100,000 people immediately, and ultimately 200,000 people died in each of those attacks. But the weapons of today, it's truly apocalyptic.
0: So having a sense of the magnitude of the weapons that are out there that are so far beyond anything that was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We now have this FEMA flyer going out on how to survive a nuclear attack. How is what's being suggested now any different from the original duck and cover propaganda of the 1950s? Or is there a significant difference in the line that we're being fed through this FEMA flyer and other sources we will get to?
1: Well, it's, it's it's truly delusional. And I would say it's delusional from the Russian side. It's delusional from the, the U.S. side. I mean, the use of nuclear weapons, notably the kind of nuclear weapons, hydrogen bomb, these weapons, the multi-warhead nuclear weapons, it's suicidal. It makes war when you inject uh, nuclear weaponry unwinnable. It's madness. It's apocalyptic.
0: A few months ago, New York City media suddenly were bombarded with a public service announcement. And this featured a very trendy millennial looking woman offering helpful hints on how to survive a nuclear attack on the city. Don't worry about how it happened. Let's just say that it happens. And this video included many of the same talking points while cheerfully assuring the viewers New York, you got this. What were your thoughts on that PSA when it first came out?
1: Well, that was some public service announcement from the New York City Emergency Management Office. Now, Mayor Eric Adams, he says that all New York City has been trying to do is to prepare people. Prepare. I mean, I was a Boy Scout. And the motto of the Boy Scouts is be prepared. I was an Eagle Scout, in fact. The motto of the Boy Scouts is to be prepared. We can't be prepared for a war that is going to result in nuclear annihilation. I mean, after World War I, humanity realized that chemical warfare was horrific. Tens of thousands of soldiers were killed in a battlefield where soldiers wore these gas masks. and There was mustard gas and so forth. And there was a series of treaties in the 1920s to outlaw chemical war, to outlaw chemical weapons. It's not been perfect, but basically since that time, it's a hundred years, it's more or less held. The chemical warfare genie was put back in the bottle. And the same thing has to happen with nuclear weapons. We have to outlaw nuclear weapons. There's been this great effort. Actually, it's all there in terms of what can be done At the United Nations in 2017, there was a treaty that was voted upon, uh, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, and 122 nations at the General Assembly said, yes, the problem is that the nuclear weapons states, they call them, the U.S., Russia, China, England, or United Kingdom, and uh, France.
0: And India, Pakistan. North Korea, and Israel
1: haven't signed on. So the treaty is not fully in force. I mean, you need these nations to do what was done to chemical weapons in the 1920s to put that nuclear genie back in the bottle. Actually, I did a piece, this is a couple of weeks ago. It was put out by Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, Fair, the media watchdog group. It's a piece headlined. There's a lot of talk about the use of nuclear weapons, but not in banning them was the headline. They did an analysis of whether the media have been mentioning this treaty, well, in connection with Ukraine, when they talk about the possibility of the nuclear exchange, nuclear war, regard to Ukraine. And the press has not been there.
0: They never make the slightest mention of the fact that there is this treaty.
1: Yeah. in my piece noted is a check of the Nexus News database. I'm reading from it, found U.S. newspapers have mentioned nuclear weapons 5,243 times between February 24th, when Putin began talking about their potential use in Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And this is just uh, last month, August 4th. Only 43 of those times included a mention of the treaty. 43 out of 5,000 200. And the great majority of these were letters to the editor or opinion columns. And I think, I mean, like, oh, you take climate change. I did my first TV program on climate change. Ross Gelspan, terrific journalist, wrote a book, The Heat is On. And in the early 90s, I think it was 93, I did an interview, like you're doing with me, with Gelspan. And I actually Show that to my environmental journalism class I teach at the State University of New York at Old Westbury, showing like Gelsman had it all together back 30 years ago, but there was, it was like there was a treaty, no broad, broad media attention. Now, thanks to uh, Al Gore and inconvenient Truth and Greta Thunberg.
0: Wait, do you, want to say the, do you want to say the name again? There was a little stumble there. Uh, Al Gore and an inconvenient truth. Well,
1: thanks to uh, Al Gore and this teenager from Sweden, uh, Greta Thunberg, and media finally getting it. People are aware these days, and the weather has a lot to do with it too, with climate change and global warming. And so, media ha- really has a responsibility. I feel, as a journalist all my working life, to like mention the treaty, huh? Indeed, there's an initiative, a very important initiative that I suggest that folks uh, join into. It's called the, the Nuclear Ban Treaty Collaborative, and the website is nuclearbantreaty.org. And what the, this collaborative is trying to do, it's asking folks, whenever you see a piece on media with a mention of the potential, the prospects of nuclear war, go and say, hey, why don't you mention that treaty too? Because if these nuclear weapon states would join in and ratify that treaty, Putin's threats and the whole buildup of nuclear... I mean, I'm pointing here to Russia very harshly. We're going to make the United Kingdom into a Martian desert. All these wild statements. But still, we in the United States were involved in a trillion-dollar nuclear weapons modernization program. In Russia, they're involved in a nuclear weapons modernization program. China is building. we got to avoid the inevitable, I think, the inevitable. Maybe we're not going to see it, hopefully, in our lifetime. But our children and their children, we can't open the door to doomsday. I mean, that's not a good idea.
0: So with this macro picture that you have just painted of the nuclear dangers that we are in every moment of every day. I want to take it back to this flyer that you picked up and the public service announcement in New York, because I looked at those and they're not, it's not accidental that this kind of information is going out to basically pat people on the head and go, there, there, Missy, don't worry your pretty little head about it. It's all survival. You just know the right things to do. And I looked back as to when this work started appearing why what seems like the sudden and increasing push by the united states to assure all of us that they're there it's just a nuclear bomb it's survivable go in take off your clothes take a shower etc etc and i was wondering why this has suddenly become so much more prominent the date on the flyer the original date if you look online is 2018 and the public service announcement, it came out earlier this year, it would have taken a couple of months for funding, production, et cetera. So let's say January 1st of 2021. So we've got these two things. Why in 2018 would this come out? And I think the answer is the United Nations Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, the TPNW, because that finally passed in 2017. And in the wake of that, it needed 50 ratifications from 50 separate nations before it became into force of law, which it did on October 24th of 2020. So the first benchmark is late in 2017. This passes suddenly in 2018, we've got a propaganda piece flyer coming out. That's really just a slightly better graphics duck and cover. And then as soon as it is, three months after the 50th ratification of the treaty, which is January 22nd of 2021. Not long after that, we've got a visual. We've got a public service announcement of going, oh, don't worry, New York. You've got this. No big deal. It's just a nuclear bomb with no understanding in the public of the magnitude of what one of these could do back in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, let alone the magnitude that we have them now. And I'm wondering if this might be part of an ongoing increasing PR campaign, propaganda campaign by the U.S. to go, hey, don't pay any attention to all of those nuclear weapons that are out there. Don't pay any attention to the fact that there's a treaty that might be a way around it and might be as effective as chemical biological warfare was back during World War I and before that. So I'm wondering if you have seen any kind of a parallel there, or if having presented this information, it strikes you that this might be part of an ongoing attempt by the US to just talk us all down off any foreseeable ledge so that we don't jump to any conclusions about nuclear and go, gee, we have to get rid of these things.
1: I used the word delusion before. It's a delusion that's been around for decades, indeed. uh, exactly 40 years ago, Robert Shear, a terrific journalist, wrote a book. Uh, it was entitled With Enough Shovels, Reagan, Bush, and Nuclear War. And the title comes from, there was a guy named T.K. Jones, who was a deputy undersecretary of defense, who said that with a shovel, anyone could dig a fallout shelter, a hole in the ground, and put a door over the top and three feet of earth on top of it. Uh, Jones was quoted in the book as saying, it's the earth that does it and survive a nuclear war. I mean, tell that to the people in Hiroshima, tell the people of Nagasaki. And again, those were far smaller than the kind of atomic bombs in existence today and certainly the hydrogen bomb. The notion that nuclear war can be fought successfully, the notion that it ain't gonna be doomsday, with an exchange of nuclear weaponry, the kind we have today. Humanity has been guilty of a lot of stupid things through the millennia. To approach nuclear war as practical is probably the stupidest thing of all time. Again, we have to deal with it like chemical weapons were dealt with and get that genie back in the bottle. The people of the world I've been to Russia, actually, when Russia opened up in the 1990s, early 2000, before Putin really took despotic rule, I gave a series of presentations. Seven times I was uh, to Russia, I was invited by the environmental advisor to Yeltsin and Gorbachev, Dr. Alexei Yablokov, who passed away about a year and a half ago, so sadly. But he invited me over there. He was interested in my work on the use of nuclear in space, because he's kind of their racial course was very concerned because they've had accidents with their nuclear space shots, like we've had accidents. He had me go over there, and I ended up speaking on a lot of nuclear issues at the Russian Academy of Sciences. It was interesting, 2,000 people in a sports stadium in Saratov. I remember walking with a, a woman who had attended the presentation and talking about how we lived in the United States in fear when I was a kid. And I use the word advisedly, a nuclear holocaust. And then as we were walking, looked at me and says, we lived with the same fear that you, the United States, was going to, with nuclear weapons, bomb the Soviet Union. And I mean, in my travels through the years, I found people all over the world want peace. They don't want war. I mean, there are people who profit from war. Weapons industry the folks at Oak Ridge National Laboratory and Los Alamos National Laboratory and the other national nuclear laboratories involved in the development of nuclear weapons, particularly Lawrence Livermore in your neck of the woods. I recall J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was the scientific director of the Manhattan Project, when Edward Teller wanted the hydrogen bomb, wanted a bigger, called it a super, even a bigger and more destructive bomb. And he ultimately was given his own laboratory to develop it, Lawrence Livermore. And Oppenheimer told Teller, he spoke about sin, that this, this is sin. And it is sin. It's so bad. And it's so wrong. There's not enough words to express humanity being led to this dark side and facing nuclear annihilation, facing a nuclear exchange. And I don't think I'm being hyperbolic. I mean, study after study, whether it's the nuclear winter or the levels of fallout, this is, it's suicide. And not just for humanity. I mean, for life itself, with certain exceptions. I mean, cockroaches, from what I've read through the years and writing books on nuclear technology, they were able to withstand 200 times the radiation that people are. But are we going to have cockroaches inherit the earth? It's so wrong and so bad and so sinful that humanity, and humanity wants peace, that humanity somehow, this takes, well, it's like the civil rights struggle. This takes, I think, grassroots action to steer these various countries and their, their leadership away from continuing with this, this insane notion that nuclear war is feasible and ban, prohibit, outlaw nuclear weapons.
0: From your mouth to somebody in power's ears. (laughs) I want to move this along to a slightly different topic, but not really, because we've been talking about the propaganda of how to survive, quote unquote, a nuclear attack, and also what that would look like and why it's so unthinkable and why it must be stopped. But there's another aspect to this that's going on right now in Ukraine, and that is the use of what are supposed to be civil nuclear power reactors as potential weapons of war, specifically right now at Zaporizhia, because that's the sixth reactor site. According to Arnie Gunderson, if there were an assault there, any one of those reactors, if they caught on fire, Each one could release between 10 and 20 times the amount of radiation that was released at Chernobyl. So we're talking at this particular site, the equivalent of between 60 and 120 Chernobyls happening. There has been shelling on the sites. Over the past few weeks, there have been reports of it happening. This increases the possibility of Zaporizhia being the site of an apocalyptic nuclear accident and radiation release. The question has come up, who's doing the shelling? Is it being done because somebody's negligent or wrongheaded, or they just didn't get their information right? Might it be intentional? And Russia is blaming Ukraine. Ukraine is blaming Russia. There's a big kerfuffle, and nobody has got resolution on this. I've got my own opinion, but... To your way of thinking, with the intensity of the research that you do and the number of resources that are not available to the general public or even to me with the reach that I've got, do you think it is at all possible that Ukraine is doing this shelling? Do you put it on the Russians or is there any way for us to know?
1: Well, I would put it on the Russians. I mean, based on this series of lies from before and during this invasion by Putin, soldiers are holding Ukrainian engineers at gunpoint to manage these reactors. They are playing the Russians with nuclear fire. Furthermore, uh, a bigger issue, once hopefully we get through this, is nuclear power plants as pre-deployed weapons of mass destruction. I mean, it's another major reason why, talking about putting nuclear back in the bottle, it should be nuclear Weapons and nuclear power. I mean, critical was the outlawing of chemical weapons. And critical today is the prohibition of nuclear weapons and the use, the production, the testing, the stockpiling, which is what the treaty says, of nuclear weapons. But beyond that, nuclear war, chemical war, terrible. War itself is terrible. I don't know whether war will ever be war itself put back in the bottle. I don't know about human nature and the uh, aggressive aspects of human nature. So if war is to continue, not with nuclear, not with chemical, but still continue, you can't allow nuclear power plants to be inserted into the equation. Because, I mean, see what's happening today in Ukraine with I believe Russia shelling that nuclear plant. Again, don't they know what this could lead to? And to deal with this reality, unfortunately, of war being part of the human equation, we got to get nuclear technology, nuclear power out of that equation because inevitably there's going to be, and it could be tomorrow, a nuclear plant hit in an exchange a conventional exchange. And the nuclear power plants has a thousand times incited more the radioactivity of the Hiroshima bomb. I mean, even those terrible Trident II missiles have a comparison with radioactivity within nuclear power plants and particularly in the pool at a nuclear power plant for spent fuel rods. Uh, they're encased in zirconium as the cladding, which in fact, if water is lost, the water isn't constantly in circulation. That zirconium at a high temperature will explode zirconium. And for people who aren't aware of this, in my book cover up what you're not supposed to know about nuclear power. I write about what a Westinghouse engineer told me, he made a special visit to New York City and told me about how in the 50s, the nuclear industries, they were trying to figure out what we can use for the cladding of fuel rods. And they thought of stainless steel and work with it. And they finally figured, well, zirconium would do with that. it. That will let the neutrons move freely between the fuel rods. The problem with zirconium is that it has the explosive power of nitroglycerin. <laughs> it's very explosive. The, the, the only major use of zirconium at the time was like the fleck on a flashbulb that explodes, like for light. If people want to read about zirconium and know, it's never reported. You can get a copy of my book, Cover Up What You're Not Supposed to Know About Nuclear Power, for free. Just go to my website, Carl Grossman, call with a K, Grossman.com, and uh, go to Books. And because of the, talking about public service, because of the public service commitment of the publisher of my cover-up book, the whole book is there. You could print out the whole book. And there, and I think it's page 8 or 10, because I thought it was so important, I write about what this engineer from Westinghouse told me about the folly of using zirconium for a cladding substance for fuel rods. Oh, and before it explodes zirconium, incidentally, what it does is release hydrogen gas. The hydrogen explosion, you know, that was feared for Three Mile Island, that was all about zirconium. At Fukushima, the explosions of those plates, three of them blew that was zirconium producing hydrogen, there were hydrogen explosions. In any case, in a spent fuel pool, what's there is tons and tons of zirconium, tons and tons of it. And if water is lost because of it, could be a shell that pits and the, uh, the water circulation is stopped, you would see an explosion. Ultimately, when we've all seen those three nuclear plants at Fukushima blow. Or if we were old enough, remember the fear of the hydrogen bubble, uh, TMI, exploding and so forth. So you throw it all together between the nuclear power plants forced into a meltdown, core meltdown, with a loss of coolant accident, or the loss of water accident, it's called, at a spent fuel pool. And that's the peaceful atom, no peaceful atom, never was a peaceful atom. It's two sides of the same coin, the atom for war and the atom for civilian purposes. Very much interconnected, and have written for years about this. But the Zaporizhia situation today, where there's this fear of this nuclear plant was more than one nuclear; it was a series of reactors blowing, undergoing meltdowns. The uh, spent fuel pool hit, affected by a loss of water accident, just brings home how the 400 plus nuclear power plants, which exist in the world today, all of them must be shut down. And in terms of energy, I mean, solar and wind and geothermal, and there's so many clean, green, renewable, and safe, there wouldn't be concern during war of solar collectors being hit. Safe, in peace, and war, energy technologies that we must embrace, we must go to, which could produce energy, literally, that we could live with. Nuclear power on so many levels is not a power source that we can live with. It's a power source in many ways, from the cancer clusters around nuclear power plants to the threat of nuclear war to another Fukushima, another TMI, another Chernobyl occurring. It's just an energy technology that we and a lot of us, many of us, will die from. I mean, indeed, as Oppenheimer told Teller, there's sin here. There's sin here. And there's stupidity at the highest level here. You would think that the instinct to survive would be still operable among humankind. Problem here is that's why I call the book Cover Up What You're Not Supposed to Know About Nuclear Power. Most people don't know. They don't know about zirconia. They don't know about how a nuclear power plant requires a million gallons a minute of water as coolant to keep operating. They don't know about when my book starts the cover-up book. You weren't supposed to know this information has been kept from you by a very compliant media, I must say, and that's why I call the book "Cover-Up." Uh, and I do a whole chapter on on media. Thank heavens, Libby, for your wonderful getting the word out, getting the information out on a subject which has been uh, covered up by media for so so long.
0: Thank you for that, and. Thank you for such a thorough, insightful, terrifying, and what the hey, it's nuclear. But good that we could talk about it. I always appreciate your input to the show. A lot of it people don't know about directly, but we're in touch a lot. I want to thank you for the work you have been doing for so many decades now. And of course, this time, once again, for being my guest on Nuclear Hot Seat.
1: Always a pleasure, but as I say, what a grisly subject.
0: That was award-winning environmental journalist and dear friend, Carl Grossman. We'll have links up to Carl's website, carlgrossman.com, that's Carl with a K, where you can access his articles and also a direct link to how you can obtain your free copy of his book, Cover Up, which you are not supposed to know about nuclear power. This is a cornerstone book for understanding the manipulation of perception around nuclear energy, and you deserve to have it not only on your bookshelf or in your computer, but in your brain as well. By the way, a small correction from the interview, the information Carl shared about zirconium and hydrogen risks is on page 12 of cover-up. On our website, we will also have a link to where you can get your very own downloadable PDF of the FEMA flyer and even a posting of the original nine-minute duck and cover film from the 1950s that scared the lower intestines out of so many of us. That's all going to be at NuclearHotSeat.com under this episode, number 587.
1: Activists, activists, activists shout out, shout out, shout out. out, out, out.
0: One final piece of information from Carl. He let us know about a campaign to respond to all news articles and reports that talk about nuclear weapons and nuclear war with an insistence that they must include mention of the United Nations Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons in their reporting or what they're giving us is incomplete. There are sample letters to the editor and fact sheets available at Treaty dot org look under the tab for take action and then resources for action or cut to the chase go to nuclearhotseat.com this episode we will have a direct link to the resources page on our website the annual keep space for peace week will be observed october 1st through 8th and will cover cyber warfare and space force nato moving into space space debris and environmental impacts from launches. It is being sponsored and produced as always by the Global Network Against Weapons and Nuclear Power in Space. You can learn more about it by going to spaceforpeace.org and that's the number 4. Don't spell it out. Space number 4 peace.org. And the Coalition Against Nukes is looking to grow its membership on Facebook. So if you haven't yet, go to can, C period, A period, N period, and hit the follow button. It's a great group of dedicated activists from across the spectrum. They've done great work in the past. They remain a terrific source of information. And I know that they will have plans in place to do great work in the future. So join them, won't you? And then, while you're on Facebook, go to Nuclear Hot Seat and click to follow. There are actually two Nuclear Hot Seat sites, but this is the one with the red and black logo on it. Every click moves us closer to moving up in the Facebook algorithms and getting seen by more people. So help us out, won't you? This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, September twentieth, 2022. Material for this week's show has been researched and compiled from nuclear-news.net, deunrenard.wordpress.com, beyondnuclear.org, NEARS.ORG, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, or ICANW.ORG, the International Atomic Energy Agency, Coalition Against Nukes, Counterpunch.ORG, MonarchPartnership.co.uk, HollywoodReporter.com, HuffPost.com, TheGuardian.com, TruthOut.org, VOANews.com, Reuters.com, Ed Lyman of the Union of Concerned Scientists, Dr. Paul Dorfman, MLive.com, NukeWatch.org, ClimateCrocs.com, VCStar.com, SanDiegoUnionTribune.com, Mainichi.jp, Tokyo-NP.co.jp, Arurong.com, KBS.co.kr, Yahoo.com, TaiwanNews.com, Japantimes.co.jp, Independent.co.uk, spiegel.de, express.co.uk, msn.com, ft.com, indonewyork.com, brooks.ac.uk, and the captured and compromised by the industry they're supposed to be regulating, Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Our thanks to Linda Pence-Gunter of Beyond Nuclear for her weekly Nuclear Hot Seat Hot Story. Now, if you'd like to get Nuclear Hot Seat, and never miss a single episode, we can deliver it to you by email every week. No sweat. Go to NuclearHotSeat.com, scroll down for the yellow box, put in your first name and an email address, and every week we will send you one, count them, one email with the link and a short description of the show's contents. Your other option is that you can sign up for Nuclear Hot Seat on your favorite podcast channel. We're here, we're there, we're everywhere. Either way, you won't risk missing any week's show. If you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. And remember, if you can go to Nuclear Hot Seat and donate, we really need your help. Anything you can do, we appreciate you and your support. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2022, Libby Halevi and Hartestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed as long as proper attribution is provided. That means mention the program, mention the website. No big deal for you, but it is for us. This has been Libby Halevi, producer and host of Nuclear Hot Seat, reminding you that, as United States Secretary General Antonio Guterres said, Let's eliminate these nuclear weapons before they eliminate us. Good idea. And there you have it. You've just had your weekly nuclear wake-up call. So whatever you do, do not go back to sleep because we are all in the nuclear hot seat.
2: Nuclear hot seat. What
0: are those people thinking? New-